Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, Mark chapter 8. Guys, uh, I want to, uh, there you are, hi. I want to uh, just go ahead and say uh, uh, real quick that last week we had a very unique gathering. Uh, it was a fifth Sunday, which meant we did some things a little bit differently. Uh, we said that we paused to spend some time in prayer, but I would say that we actually participated in our mission in a dedicated time of prayer. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that it was incredibly powerful. Sorry, I'm a bit OCD. I had to kick that part out of the way. Uh, that, that, that things happened, that heaven shook, right? That, that the ground shook with God's uh, power and his desire to see uh, his mission accomplished here on earth. I wanted to just also share a little bit of gratitude towards Ethan who facilitated the whole gathering last week. And I also wanted to thank the worship team that we had together last week. I know we had to, uh, some slim pickings with much of our team out on the men's advance. And, uh, and, and, but I, I thank you for participating in that. And also I wanna thank, thank you those who modeled prayer for us last week, who came up and, and opened up their hearts before the Lord in front of all of us and, and were uh, able to model uh, a genuine prayer for us. So with that, you should be in Mark chapter eight. We're getting back into gear now with our series uh, called Mission. And, and we're simply just going through our mission as a church, really looking at what God says about our mission and the biblical nature of our mission. And today we're gonna be specifically talking about the next briefing on our mission, which is followers. I should turn my remote on, that might help. Yep, followers. Can you say Followers. I couldn't hear you. I need you louder. Followers? Followers. There it is. That's what we are, right? So we should be in Mark chapter 8. Now, before we get there, guys, we've got a lot of work to do on this word alone. And the reason why is because not only is this a very deep concept, not only is there a lot of truth to be exploring in this, but there's also a lot of baggage that we're going to carry with us as we head into this conversation. And it's going to be a little rough. Right? We've got a lot of baggage from our society, from our culture around us that we're carrying into this conversation, and it's going to be tough. So when you think about it, like, like today, just today, think about our current context. What comes to mind when you think of the word follower? Social media, right? Social media is actually the uh, reason why the word follower in the last 20 years has seen this massive uptick of usage in literature and whatnot. It's, it's been insane to see how crazy the word follower has started to be reused. And, and it's used on all these social media platforms, TikTok, it's used on Instagram, it's used on Facebook, it's used on YouTube. And, and, and for those of you who don't know what social media is, let me catch you up. Uh, it's the worst, that's all I need to say. No, really, so for example, let's say I wanted to follow uh, our philosopher, resident philosopher, Joseph Gibson on some sort of social media platform. Uh, I would go to his page and I would click the button that says follow. I would follow Joseph, which means that anytime he posted something, I'd get an update. I would be notified and I'd be able to see what he's up to via some sort of smart device. Now, those of those social media users who gain the most followers on the social media platforms, you know what they're called? They're called influencers. 
because apparently they have the biggest following today, right? They're the top influencers in society. So, so you, can, you can see who the top 50 are. The top 50 most followed individuals today. Categorically, they fit into only one, two, three, four, five categories of people. Athletes, musicians, actors, politicians, and gamers. The five categories of people that are most followed today. So for example, uh, the top athlete that's most followed across all the, all the pages, all the social media platforms is Cristiano Ronaldo. You guys know who that is? The premier soccer player, right? So if you were to, uh, he is the most followed individual today, apparently, right? And to follow him, if you were to go to one of his pages, you would get updates on his life. So you would get the following. You would see that he won a Guinness World Record for the most goals scored. You would also see a picture of his shredded six-pack abs, which would only make you feel terrible about yourself. You'd see this inspirational video that follows it about following your dreams. And then you'd see him standing next to his new Bentley, which is not a dog, it's a car. So in short, to follow this Ronaldo guy means that you're putting before yourself an image of worldly success and accomplishment, popularity, and material wealth. Guys, talk about a heavy burden to follow. Talk about a heavy burden to carry if that's who you're trying to follow after. I mean, how, how are you ever going to get there? How am I ever going to get shredded six-pack abs? I tried. I was in the best shape all through high school, and I never saw a single ab poke out. I mean, is this what it means? Like, if, if, this, if this context of, of, of following, if we carry this into following Jesus, then we're, we're, we're going to be concerned about popularity and success, right? We're going to be concerned about things. Is that what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we click this spiritual button? Right? And then we start just getting a few updates on his life. Oh, that's nice. We get an inspirational quote every now and then for the day. Mm, I can do all things. All right. Oh, I've got great plans for you. All right. Those are my inspirational quotes of the day. Now let's put them aside. I'm going to go on my way. Is that what it means to follow? Does being a follower mean that we're fans? Because he's so popular. Did we pick the word follower just simply because it's got some sweet alliteration and it follows the word faithful? Faithful followers? Is that all the reason why we picked it? It just rolls off the lips, doesn't it? Guys, there's a whole lot of meaning and what we need to do is say, all right, how the world understands following right now, we need to cast that aside. We need the Lord to empty out our minds so that when we press into God's word and we see what Jesus says about following, we're not carrying extra baggage that only exhausts us whenever we start digging. All right, so let's, let's ask the Lord that he would do that and let's press in because today we're gonna be answering a big question and it's two parts. What is a follower of Jesus and how do we multiply them? What is a follower of Jesus and how on earth do we make a bunch of them? Repeat the addition of them. Sorry, math lesson is over again. So we're in Mark chapter eight and and let me get some context for you real quick and then we'll get into our main verse in verse 34. So right before this, Jesus uh, is, is doing miracles and having conversations about being the Messiah. 
So first we see in miracles, we see Jesus feed another group of 4,000 men, plus women and children. And we also see Jesus heal this blind man. Crazy. And then Jesus comes to his disciples on a side conversation and says, hey, who do the people say I am? And they have that conversation. But Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus charges them with some things. And then Jesus starts having a conversation with his disciples and telling them what? I'm gonna die. He tells his disciples that I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna be arrested and rejected. I'm gonna be crucified and buried and I'm gonna rise. And you guys know the story. Peter goes up and he takes Jesus aside. He says, Jesus, that's not the way to go, man. That's not, no, I've got a better idea for you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Satan, get behind me. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like being called like Satan by Jesus. That sounds terrible. But he said to Peter, he said, hey, you're concerning yourself with human matters, not what matters to God. And then we get to Mark chapter eight, verse 34. So he was just with his disciples having this very intense conversation and Peter gets rebuked and for not being concerned about what God's concerned about, but being concerned about what Peter's concerned about. And this is what we get in verse 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels." This is the word of the Lord. So guys, already we know the tone of the morning isn't gonna be all rainbows and unicorns fuzzy on the inside, is it? Already we know this is gonna be something that's very difficult. There's some hardship here. We know on the outset of this, just reading through this, this isn't gonna be very popular. It ain't gonna be easy. And I gotta be honest, good thing I don't care about those things. We're about to get a massive download of clarity on how Jesus invites us to relate to him. So first, let's just take a quick note. Who is this invitation limited to? Think about it. You don't have to answer, but think about it. Who is it limited to? Is it limited to the rich? Does he say, oh, hey, if the rich wanna come follow me, is it the cleanest, like they're showered and their feet don't stink? No, is it, is, it, is it the most morally good, the religious elite? Hey, if they want to follow me, this is what you have to do. Most accomplished or skilled? Someone who owns a Bentley? No, no, who did he say? What did he say? Give me the word. What did he say? Anyone. If anyone or whosoever wants to follow after me. The invitation's on the table and there's no limitation. So did, did, did you see Jesus concern himself with gathering in followers of the highest stature and influence? Do you see him only inviting the people of power and wealth? 
maybe to, to make sure he can get that private jet to get him where he needs to go? Does he invite in the best examples of moral goodness of the day? No, no, no. The invitation was issued to anyone who would come. And guys, we see Jesus issue this invitation to all sorts of people, all kinds of people. We see it first issued with, uh, to the uneducated poor fishermen, not that fishermen are uneducated, but these gentlemen were. We see him issue the invitation to a Jewish terrorist who was bent on inciting Jewish rebellion against the Roman Empire. We see him invite a Jewish tax collector named Levi or, or Matthew and and, and Matthew had been ostracized by his whole society as his whole country because he was a traitor, because he was collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. Not only that, but we also see Jesus go to Matthew's home after he invites him to follow him. And in Mark 2, we see that he's in this house. We see that Jesus is in the house with Matthew, the tax collector, and there are other tax collectors and other sinners there. And the religious elite mock Jesus and criticize him for that. Guys, it should, it's not controversial today, but it was back in the day, Jesus even had women following him. And back then, women, their testimony wasn't even considered valuable. And yet, this is who Jesus is inviting, inviting in. This is who Jesus is welcoming in. This is who the, the invitation is issued to anyone, not the deserving, but it seems to be the undeserving. Anyone meant anyone. Which means this invitation to follow Jesus isn't restricted to a certain people. It's not restricted to a certain country or nation. So no matter your race, no matter your sex, no matter your economic status, no matter your nationality, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your language, no matter your record, no matter your past, no matter where you are presently, anyone can come and accept the invitation from Jesus. Anyone can come and do what? Anyone who wants to follow after me. Okay, so at its most basic, this invitation that Jesus is describing, at its most basic, it's an invitation of discipleship. We talked about this several weeks, actually months ago. I think it was back in May. <laughs> it's been that long. Where, where to follow meant to be a disciple of. So follower and disciple are very much interchangeable in the New Testament. So to come and after, to follow Jesus, really is an invitation to come and be his disciple. It means, it means that our allegiance is to him. He is our model. We imitate him. We go where he goes. We do what he does. We say what he says. We love what he loves. following Jesus. You see, the reality is, brothers and sisters, we're all following something. Always. All of us are always following something. Whether it's the, uh, the Sunday afternoon golf tournament that then gets you all riled up to go play golf later next week, or the NFL tournament, or whatever, I don't even, playoffs, I guess. You can tell how little I pay attention to sports these days. Whether it's a certain author or a certain TV show, you're, you're following something. 
a pattern or a way of life, maybe an area of brokenness, some addiction. Something is always before us and we seem to be following that. Now, when we talk about this, when we talk about following Jesus, I can't help but think of that poem. You know that poem called um, uh, Footprints in the Sand? Remember that? It's a beautiful poem. I'm not trying to mock it in any way, right? So, so the, basically the poem goes like, there's, uh, there, there's, life is like walking along the beach with Jesus, with, you're with Jesus, and you can see two f- sets of footprints in the sand. And the poet, poet looks back, and at one point he sees that there were only one set of footprints in the sand, and he goes to his Savior Jesus and says, why'd you leave me? And Jesus' response was, oh no, I didn't leave you. I'll never leave you. That's when I carried you, right? Beautiful poem, I love it. But I feel like it's not as exactly realistic to the Christian life as it should be. Like, so for example, there should be a section where we go in question where we see one just trail off way outside and then it comes back later on. It's like, what was that? Oh, that's when you wandered off and then you came back. Or there should be a part where you look back and you see just this one set of footprints and this massive trough right next to it. And you ask Jesus, what is that? That's when I had to drag you. That'd be more appropriate, right? At least that's how I feel my life is with Jesus. But you know, one of the things I think about that poem is, what if there's times where you see Jesus' footprints are clearly his, and then you see the other one wandering behind and just start placing their footprint in Jesus's so that you don't see two footprints, but one. Kind of like, you know how a, a, a kid walks behind his dad on the beach and you see his big footprint and he just jumps to the, the next one and then he sees his dad's footprint there and he jumps to the, the next one and says, I'm gonna follow my dad. That's what I think of when I say, follow Jesus. We're, we're seeing where Jesus goes and we say, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go there. Yep, this is the next step. That's what I think of. So in reality, I would much rather see one set of footprints, not simply because I wandered off or simply because Jesus left, that's not gonna happen. I'd rather see one set of footprints where my step was with his so that people don't see me, they see Jesus. Guys, it's why... I mean, so in reality, I'm saying this because we're all following after something and either it's Jesus or it's the course of this world. And that's what Ephesians 2 says that we've been saved from. We've been saved out of. We've been saved out of following the course of this world. Following Jesus is, is described as the way, right? Your lamp is, a, or your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The path is the way of Jesus, right? And we, we see even the New Testament church, they're not at first called Christians. What are they first at called? They're called the way. Because they seem to just be placing their steps into the steps that Jesus, the forerunner, laid before them. So come follow me was was the invitation that Jesus issued to any who would be his. It wasn't, hey, hey, quick, just pray a prayer of of regret for your sin and, and I'll save you and then you can just go back and do whatever you want, right? 
or, or no, it was, it, 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 was, it was come and follow me. This was the standard issued invitation. This was the understanding that Jesus had to those who were going to be following him. And, and I would say that at this point, we really need to be careful. At this point, we really need to be careful here because we can get this part really wrong. And I would say in some ways, we already have gotten it wrong in the big C church. Guys, Jesus's invitation was never, hey, come get what you need from me. Some salvation, maybe if you want some healing, sprinkle it on top and then just go on your way. Yet that's how we often paint Jesus, right? We paint Jesus as a, as a Jesus-sized void filler in your heart. As if Jesus is just simply to add on to your life. So we say, Jesus has what you need. Come and get it. Now, is that true? Absolutely, it's true. He has everything that we need. But is that all? Absolutely not. Guys, the invitation isn't just to come. It's to come and follow after him. The invitation of the gospel is not just to accept some things as true and in doing so, ascend to a higher intellectual thought. That's not it. Jesus' invitation is to follow him because you believe in him. That's the nature of belief. If you really say you believe Jesus, if, if you really say that, yeah, Jesus, I, yeah, I'm convinced that what he says is real and true. What he did was true. Then there's a natural inclination to just follow after him with that sort of conviction. One pastor puts it this way, to say you believe in Jesus but do not follow him empties belief of all its meaning. Because isn't, isn't this exactly why James in his book in chapter two says, hey, I will show you my faith by what I do. You wanna see what I believe? Look how I live. So guys, for the, for the first 15 years of my life, for those of you who don't know, yes, I'm 31 years old. Sorry, I can't get older quicker. But for the first 15 years of my life, I, I grew up in a Christian environment where the gospel was preached in my home and in my church. I just, I wasn't listening and I couldn't hear it. But I could tell you that I believed Jesus. I could tell you that I believed that he had died on the cross and that he had rose from the dead. That, that was something that was true because I, I had I wanted nothing to do with him. I could say that that was true, but, but I wanted, I had nothing but shame for him. I, I was totally ashamed of that fact. I'd go to school and I'd totally conceal any conversation about Jesus or going to church. I didn't want people to know. Goodness, my youth pastor showed up for a football game once. I totally tried to get away from him, but he kept chasing after me. I was so frustrated. He wanted to say hi and good game and I wanted to not be associated with him. But Jesus, I, I didn't love him. I didn't care about him. I didn't desire him. I just saw him as this unpopular, restrictive boss who just wanted to take away all the pleasures that I wanted to find out in the world. So my beliefs about Jesus influenced nothing about me or how I lived. 
until the day God captured my heart with the word about Jesus and his beauty. That Jesus came to offer life to the full and following him was the path of life. So, so my concerns with worldliness, my, my desires and my dreams involved in worldliness, the, the pleasures that came with worldliness, all of a sudden just weren't my priority anymore. They, they weren't on the top of the list to, to indulge. And, and I can't tell you that that was something that I did. That wasn't a work that I did. That was simply God's miraculous grace in regenerating me. So all of a sudden, I found my allegiance was totally to Christ. In other words, I, I, I found myself wanting to place my footsteps in his as we walked. That my life would match up with his knowing that he had saved me from wretched sin and he had restored me back to my father in heaven. So when we talk about following Jesus, in that light, when Jesus asks us to follow him, we drop our nets and we go after him. Isn't that exactly what the disciples did? Jesus simply said, follow me, two words. And they left behind their occupations. They left behind their father. They left behind their security. And they said, all right, Jesus, I'm following you. So when Jesus asks us to follow him, if he's asking us to leave our jobs, if he's asking us to to part ways with people, we follow him. Or when Jesus tells us to follow his example of of washing the the dirt-filled, crusty, icky, nasty feet of those around us, we're gonna follow his example and we're gonna wash the feet of those who have really messed up feet. Or when Jesus tells us to follow his example in how we suffer through trials and tribulation and persecution, like he did in, 1 Peter 2, we follow his example. So, follower isn't just simply an easy buzzword. It's not a catchphrase. The reason why follower is in our mission is because the word follower primarily describes our relationship to Jesus. Above all else, it's follower I don't know if y'all remember several years ago, there was uh, the debate on what Christians should call themselves because certain Christians started calling themselves this and then certain non-Christians started calling themselves the same thing. And they're like, no, you took our term. Now we need to come up with something else, right? So we've had Christians and then we had evangelicals and we had born again believers and we had believers and we had fans, right? No, the chief description of who we are in relation to Christ is that we are followers of him. And what Jesus does in verse 34 here is he issues out some requirements. Hey, if you want to be a follower, if you want to come after me, do these two things. He says, deny yourself. What else does he say? And take up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. We got to go through both of them. So first, let's go through Deny yourself. Can you say this with me? One, two, three. Deny yourself. 
How's that feel rolling off your tongue? As certain groups of people have taken this to mean a spiritual discipline called asceticism. And asceticism is the avoidance or abstinence of any kind of sensual pleasures. So uh, as, as out in left field as this may be, oh, oh if, if I'm to deny myself, I can't indulge in any steaks this lunch. I'm dedicating myself to fruits and veggies. Guys, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I'm sure some of you would have been out of the game a long time ago because you love your steaks like I do. As if that's what following meant, then we would have turned back a while ago. Jesus isn't saying to deny yourself from pleasures, right? There are good things that God made in this earth that were designed for us to enjoy to the glory of God. So it's not that we deny pleasures we're to deny ourself, which doesn't mean that we reject ourselves. It doesn't mean that we hate ourselves. It doesn't mean that we disown ourselves. It just simply means that we renounce ourselves as the dominant element in our lives. We're no longer the, the reason for our existence. It means to cease to make self the object of your life and your actions. It means to, to, to take on God's desires and will before your own. I love how St. Augustine put it. He said, learn to love yourself by not loving yourself. To deny yourself is learning how to love yourself by not loving yourself. I mean, isn't that what Jesus described in Mark 10 when he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be, or sorry, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we talk about denying yourself, it's to place God's will and God's purposes above your own. You're not the whole reason for why you exist, nor am I. Deny yourself. Now, just a random question. Isn't the opposite of this the whole reason why the world fell into brokenness in the first place? <laughs> Think about it. Back in, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were given a choice to trust God above their own thoughts, to, to have confidence in the word of the Lord above their own thinking and believe his word above their own, Instead, they switched the order. They, instead of denying themselves, they promoted themselves and they sought their own self-interest. In doing so, they shoved the whole world into disorder and into brokenness and we lost goodness. Guys, I'm sure you've probably seen this in your own life. When you love yourself above others, can't you, have you, you've probably seen it. It just leads to destruction, doesn't it? Those relationships get destroyed pretty quick. Why? Because they become a means to your end. But when we deny ourselves and we receive God's priorities as our own and we count the interests of others as more important than our own, as Philippians 2 tells us to do, when we don't seek to save our life, but we lose it because of Jesus and because of the gospel, crazy enough, that's where we find life. That's where we find it. So so when we say to deny yourself, 
We're not saying, hey, your life is gonna be miserable. You're gonna be resigned over to just misery all the rest of your days. No, actually, this is where you'll find life. This is where you'll find joy and contentment and peace. So to follow Jesus first, you have to deny yourself. And then we get to the second thing that Jesus says. And he says what? Take up your cross. Can we say this together? One, two, three. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Does that mean we start wearing uh, necklaces with a little cross on them? Maybe we get a little cross tattoo over our hearts. I'm not endorsing tattoos, by the way. We can talk about that later. I mean, isn't that odd anyway, though? I mean, think about it. The cross was a Roman device designed for extreme torture and execution. Got my cross on me. Do we see people going around wearing electric chairs or guillotines around their necks? No. Obviously, we recognize that there's a bit deeper of symbolism behind the cross, but... But when we say, take up your cross, when Jesus invites us and says, hey, take up your cross, does it mean that we, we, we start enduring some sort of irritation in our life or that we've got some massive burden of trial that we're gonna have to go, oh, this is the cross that I have to bear. I've got a thorn in my flesh. No, no, that actually cheapens this. No, to take up your cross in this context literally pictures a man already condemned to die required to carry his cross to the place of his execution. Whoa. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross. In other words, carry the burden, follow me out to Golgotha. He's literally offering you a cross to carry. Now, now yes, this has in view the physical life where we don't deny Jesus, we claim him as our savior and Lord to the death. But it also, and, and more specifically even means that, that, that it's a sacrificial service at great cost to ourselves for the advancement of his kingdom. So he offers us a cross and a cross means it, it costs your life. I mean, did you notice one of the things he says? If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. He's not talking about himself in the third person like some people do. He's talking about the cross that belongs to you. You've got your own personalized cross at the foot of Jesus' cross. Come pick up yours today. It's got your name on it. In other words, nobody else can carry the cross for you. I can't be your salvation. Nor can your parents. He's he's saying you are responsible. You must come to me and you must carry the cross that has your name on it. It belongs to you if you're gonna follow me. I mean, Jesus himself says, anyone, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's a, a, a German theologian who 
was around during World War II. His name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And this is what he said in it. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I told you this wasn't gonna be warm and fuzzy. When Christ calls a man to himself, he bids him to come and die, to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Guys, I just gotta be frank with you, although my name's Scott. That's, that's not in my notes. I don't know why I said that. Does it seem like Jesus cares a whole lot about being popular and what he's saying here? Does it seem like he cares about gaining the biggest following that he can? I mean, guys, he, he said some really controversial things, some very difficult things. When a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and they had some conversation and the invitation to follow him was on the table, Jesus said, hey, no, you have to sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, put your treasure in heaven, and then you can come follow me. Did that rich young ruler do that? No, he left totally discouraged because he had a lot of material wealth. There were others who came saying they wanted to follow Jesus. And the first response Jesus had to one of them said, hey, those animals out there, they've got some homes. I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm not promising you that. I don't promise you a home. To another, he said, hey, let the dead bury your dead. He also said to another, hey, you can't look back if you're gonna follow me. You think they all ran after Jesus with delight after that? No, they didn't. In the book of John, Jesus tells people that they have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And the people's response to that was, oh, this is a hard saying, who can follow it? And actually there were massive crowds of people who stopped following Jesus that day. Now, just to be clear, he's not promoting cannibalism there. There's a whole lot of text we'll have to study one day, Lord willing. Guys, scripture, Jesus himself even says that he came to divide. He is a point of division in families. That's why his gate is narrow and the road to it is difficult because you're carrying your cross as you walk it. but he says that that narrow gate leads to life. That's the way to life. That's the pathway to life. That's that's why Jesus is called the cornerstone because you got some people who just trip over them on their way on the wide road, but you have others who stop and they, they, they build their lives upon him. And then when the waters rise and the storm billows roll in, they stand firm. So when we talk about multiplying followers, we're talking about this. And is this gonna make us super popular? Probably not. 
Is this going to give us huge numbers and attendance and thousands and thousands of views on social media? Nah. But will we be helping people who seek it find life in Jesus? You bet we will. Will the world see in us and among us a real kind of love that, that is motivated out of a self-denying, cross-bearing heart? God willing. Guys, multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ wasn't just meant to be a cute phrase. This is what we mean when we say followers. And if I have to put it up as clear as I can, this is literally what we're after. We're after self-denying cross bearers. That's what we're looking to multiply if we're gonna be true to what God says about multiplying faithful followers. We're going after people who deny themselves and who take up the cross of Christ and follow him. So are you tracking with me so far? This is heavy. This is hard. You know what's even harder? Well, okay, so th- this is our mission, right? This is, we're looking to multiply faithful, self-denying, cross-bearing followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission when we want to accomplish it. So how on earth do we do this? Goodness. This is our mission. How do we, how do we multiply these? My goodness. Can we, can we bribe people <laughs> into doing this, into being this? Do you think Walmart has a few of these stuffed away on their frozen section that we can just go pick up on the way? No, no. Okay, if we just handed out little cross necklaces that they could wear, is that gonna accomplish this? No, can we force people to be these? No. Guys, the cross that Christ offers them is theirs alone to carry and they have to receive him. They have to receive him, his words, all that he offers and all that he demands. So brothers and sisters, in one sense, you and I are completely 100% helpless in accomplishing our mission. (laughs) I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging. We are absolutely powerless to make people deny themselves and take up a cross Which means what? We have to be of the same accord that we must be 100% reliant upon God's grace alone to go after them and to show them the beauty. We are 100% based on God's grace alone to accomplish our mission. It's not gonna be fancy preaching or, or good singing. It's not gonna be any, anything else but God's grace that goes after them. So that's in one sense. How do we accomplish this? Well, we're totally dependent upon God's grace. In another sense, how do we accomplish this? We show them how amazing life is when we live like this. Give them a little taste. 
if we, you and me, are resolved to put our first steps into Jesus as he walks and leads the way, as we deny ourselves and as we take up our own cross, people around us are gonna start seeing and they're gonna start noticing. And as we do that, we're gonna find life. We're gonna find joy. We're gonna find the spirit of God overflowing in us. Because he said that if we follow him, We won't walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. If we follow him, we have a shepherd whose voice calls to us and we follow him and he cares for us. If we follow Jesus, he brings us into an eternal purpose that we can never find out in the world that gives our life the utmost meaning and significance. And if you and I live in this world, but not of this world, if we reject the current cultural mandate that to deny yourself is hypocrisy and to embrace all that you are is the best thing for you, if we deny that crap and we receive the truth that to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses is the way of following Jesus, there and then will our words and our lives be more persuasive to people around us and show them just how beautiful, self-denying, cross-bearing following of Jesus really is. So if anything, our priority and our mission isn't external. Our priority and our mission is how am I following Jesus? How can I deny myself and take up my cross, and who might join me on the way? There, and only there, will we multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.